that, he, that you survive the storms, that you make it through the storms. And he's using an image that we all get, right? The image of a house being built on a rock and one on the sand, we all get it. We've all seen that, right? You can imagine something, and I want to help you visualize something. Uh, the uh, a monastery, the monastery of Varlam in Greece is one wonderful example of a house that has been built upon a rock and has withstood the storms. It was constructed in the 16th century. Uh, building began in 1517, and it was completed in 1541. This monastery sits atop a pillar of rock that rises 1,200 feet above the valley floor, and it has endured for almost 500 years of storms and rain and flooding and wind, and yet today it stands solid because the rock upon which it is founded has never been moved. And yet you can all picture in your mind, on the other hand, houses that were not built on rock, but that were built on sand. And we know what happens when these kind of situations come and the rains come down and the water, the floodwaters rise up and the winds beat against houses and saturated sandy soil begins to shift under the weight of it and it begins to move. What happens when the foundation moves? Everything that rests upon it also moves and destruction it comes. And Jesus says about the house that fell because it was built on the sand, great is the fall of it. He does not mean magnificent and wonderful in great. He means tragic and significant and unnecessary. It was not necessary for this house to fall because if the builder had planned and prepared and thought and sought advice, he wouldn't have built in the location. It all could have been avoided. And yet it wasn't in one case. And we need to know what do we need to do in order to ensure that our lives are built upon the rock. If, if doing the words of Jesus is what he's calling us to, and that's connected to the will of the Father, then how is doing Jesus' words different from the doing of those false followers who were doing incredible stuff and didn't get into heaven. What's the difference? They were doing prophecy. They were doing demon exorcism and they were doing miracles. And Jesus said, I don't know you. So there's a connection here with, with doing the words of Jesus, knowing Jesus and also doing the will of God the Father. So what's the difference? It has to be found in the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus said, he who does these words of mine, this is the concluding illustration. And so my question is, what do we need to hear Jesus about what you have said so that we don't miss the kingdom of heaven? And I, there's a whole list of things I came up with, but I narrowed it down to just three. It appears to be the divine number of points of all sermons. You can only have three points. But I just... We forget things. And so just a couple of reminders. There's some things that are significant, which Jesus said in this sermon. First of all, he says, righteousness does not come by doing alone. Righteousness does not come merely by doing. In other words, works alone will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because that was the problem of the people that we just saw in the previous paragraph. They pointed only to works. 
when they stood before Jesus to give an account of their lives, all they said was, look at what we did. That's all they were pointing to. So that can't be the foundation of your life. Doing good deeds alone cannot be the foundation of your hope in God through Christ. Can't be. There has to be something else. And Jesus says that those are blessed who know this. If you know that your deeds will not get you into heaven, you are blessed. The first words, the first blessing in this Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, uh, verse 3 in chapter 5 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They get into the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean, poor in spirit? It means you are absolutely convinced you have no spiritual worth that will earn you a way into heaven. You know that you don't have any spiritual currency to lay down in front of God and say, uh, here's why I should get in. Those who are poor in spirit are humble and broken, and they do not trust in their own righteousness. They're absent of confidence in their own doing. They know what we find in Isaiah 64, which all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment in the eyes of Jesus. Or, to help my children, all of your righteousness isn't worth a hill of beans before God in heaven in getting you into heaven. That's that's poor in spirit. And so, I want to ask you, are you, this is so subtle, this is so subtle, because in our minds, every time, I think, I could be wrong, I think, when we do good things, you think, that's a little check mark for me. I, I, that's a little, it's a little, there's a little heavenly scorecard. I mean, it has to, it has to help, right? And so I, I donate money. We make little crafts and send them to the senior center. Or every time I, you know, shovel Mrs. Jackson's, you know, driveway or the, of the snow in the winter, or I cut the neighbor's yard, or I'm doing this, or I'm giving my money here, or working at the community center. In your mind, do you think that, that's, that's got to be good? If that's a way of earning God's favor, if that's a kind of transaction where, okay, I'm doing this, therefore God is now obligated to do this, you got it wrong. We're confused about righteousness because blessed are the poor in spirit. That is those people who realize there is not a thing in me, like Paul says, there is no good thing that dwells in my flesh. I know that. Because when we start looking at the deeds we do to give us favor to God, we suddenly begin to overlook all of our sin. And we don't take that into account at all. Because when you sin, you don't think, "Ah, now I just lost 10 check marks or whatever, do you? No, you think, thank God for His grace. Right? That, that's what we do. That's the games that we play. And so blessed, Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. So we need to know uh, getting into heaven does not come by doing alone. Deeds alone does not gain us access into heaven. The second thing we have to understand, which Jesus has communicated in the Sermon on the Mount, is that righteousness comes by believing in Jesus. Righteousness comes, the righteousness required for entrance into the heaven comes by believing in Him. Doing comes, yes, that will follow, 
But believing in Jesus is required because he is the only one whose deeds are fully righteous and actually can get us into heaven. So at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, here's what Jesus said. Do not think that I have come. This is verse 17. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Incredible. Jesus said, I have come to do everything that God the Father expects of us to be done. I have come to do what you won't do. I I have come to do God's law completely and fully. And he's the only person who ever did that. He's the only human ever to have completely obeyed God's law to the fullest degree and never sinned. And, and, And also, he died not having his own sin and was raised again so that God could say completely honestly, you can have your trust in him because I have raised him from the dead to prove that his sacrifice was pleasing in my sight. And and it's amazing to me that Jesus' friends and his enemies all affirmed his sinlessness. You would expect friends to to say good things about people, right? Your friends always tell you good stuff, even when when it's not true. It's it's wonderful to have friends who will nicely lie to us like that, right? But we need need the truth. All of Jesus' apostles said he was sinless. Not that that's a lie, not at all. But what's astounding to me is that even his enemies affirmed his innocence. Pilate, go back to Luke 23. Three times Pilate said in front of the Jews, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. I find nothing in him worthy of death or condemnation. Three times he said that. Pilate has nothing to gain in all of this. And he affirms Jesus' innocence. The crook on the cross next to him. What did he say? Remember when the other guy was bad-mouthing Jesus? He said, shut up. We're getting exactly what we deserve. And this guy has done nothing wrong. And then the centurion standing there watching Jesus, overseeing When he watched Jesus die, do you know what he said? Surely, certainly, Luke 23, 47, this man is innocent. After he died, when he saw the nature of his death, he was astounded at how Jesus died and said, certainly this guy is innocent. It is incredible to me to realize everybody who knew Jesus affirmed his innocence. And God affirmed his sinlessness by raising him from the dead. So you can be sure that he had none of his own sin because death couldn't hold him. Death did not cling to him. It could not contain him. Jesus was raised from the dead. And so this then gives us the will of the Father. It is the will of God the Father that you put your faith in Jesus alone in order to have entrance into the heaven. And I get that from John 6, 40. So if you're wondering, when Jesus is telling these folks, You did only those who get into heaven who do the will of the Father. And you're asking, what is the will of the Father so that I can do it? Here it is, John 6, 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. This is the will of God for every one of you in this room. Kids, if you're sleeping, if you're playing Nintendo or whatever you're doing, listen to me. It is the will of God that you look to Jesus and be saved. 
If your neighbor is falling asleep, please wake him up and let him know. This is what we need, every one of us. If you need to look to Jesus and believe in him, in him alone. Notice that the, the people in the previous paragraph who stood before God and said, look at our deeds. They were not looking to Jesus. They were looking at their effort and what they had done. And here, God, it is the will of the Father for you to look to Jesus and believe in him. Believe that if you confess your sins, through Jesus you will have forgiveness of your sins. If you trust in his righteousness, then his righteousness through Christ will be given to you. If you believe in Jesus, that life, spiritual life can come, then through Jesus, spiritual life will be given to you. If, if you look to Jesus and believe he can connect you to God, then that connection will come by faith. That is the trusting and resting in him that all of us need. And if you say, I, 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 I am spiritually dead. There's nothing within me that wants, I, I want to want to be obedient to the Lord, but something within me needs to change. Then, then look to Jesus and pray for the transformation of your own heart because he can give you the gift of the Holy Spirit in salvation to move you into a place of union with God the Father. Receiving the Holy Spirit is, is how we are connected to Christ. It's through his Spirit in us that we are united with him. That's why the Bible talks about so often believing in Jesus it actually means believing into him. Believing in such a way that you're connected to Christ. And that only comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. How does that happen? Peter explains it very clearly in Acts chapter 2, 38 to 39. Here's what Peter says. This is on the day of Pentecost. He says, repent, meaning repent of your sins, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, referencing the Holy Spirit, the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So how, how is a person saved? Like that. We are saved by recognizing our sinfulness, being willing to confess it and say, Yes, I am a sinner. Also being absolutely convinced that Jesus is the only one who can take care of your sins and wash away your sins. And not only that, but give you spiritual life. That's what the Spirit of God does. He gives us life. And so if you say, Jesus, please forgive me. Will you wash me? Will you cleanse me? Will you save me? Will you give me your Holy Spirit? He will. Jesus is the only person who can do that. And so that is why we point again and again to him. And so as righteousness does not come through doing good deeds, righteousness comes through faith in Jesus and receiving his Holy Spirit by faith. The third thing that Jesus says in this sermon is that true believing actually is doing. There is some doing that must be done. And that flows from the reality of what living faith is. Living faith, saving faith, think of it that way, is an active faith. It is a faith that does. But it does because it has been accepted by Christ. 
right? We do obedience to Jesus because we know he has accepted us. We don't do things in order to be accepted. We are accepted and then we live out the life of Christ. That is our calling. And so where do I get this? One of the places is, this is, this is building on the rock. This is part of building on the rock is letting the, the, the obedience to the commands of Jesus flow through your life. Jesus, uh, John helps us see the connection between believing and doing. Uh, John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, right? but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Look at the connection between believing in the Son, having faith in the Son, who is Jesus, brings about eternal life. And the parallel to that is not obeying the Son. Disobeying the Son keeps you under wrath. So obeying Jesus is equivalent with believing in Him. Those are synonyms. To believe in Jesus means to obey Him. You can't call him Lord if you don't obey him, which is what Jesus says in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? And some of us need to sit with that phrase. We say we're a follower of Jesus, but we don't do what he says. Is that us? Right? That this conclusion of this sermon calls us to analyze our soul, to examine where we are with Jesus. And the question is for everyone in this room, if you can hear my voice, are you obeying him? If you're calling yourself a Christian, then Christ is the leader. We're the follower. That is what we're called to do, is to submit to him as our Lord. And we do so when we see him as the wonderful, sweet Savior that he truly is. And, and John 1, uh, 1 John 5, 3 says this, This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Meaning when you, are, when you know Jesus, you trust him, you believe completely his commandments are good, and they're not burdensome. When you know that God has created you and made you for a relationship with himself, everything that he commands brings goodness, not burdensome, a heaviness. It brings blessing. If you want to be blessed, start pursuing obedience in every known area in your relationship with him. Because that leads to further knowing Let's look at this, John 14. This is what Jesus said on the night before he was crucified. He says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What comes first? It's the love. If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. In verse 21, he says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. When you know what Jesus wants and you love him, you will obey him, is what he's saying. And here's the good part. Here's the connection to the knowing. All right, when Jesus said, you, I don't know you, here, here's the connection. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Meaning, if you love Jesus, you obey him. And when you obey him, 
He also loves you back and shares the love that exists between him and his father. And he says, I manifest myself to you. Meaning, I I share more of myself with you. Meaning, progressive obedience leads to a progressive deepening of your relationship with your Savior. If you want to know Christ more deeply, obey him in every area that you know. Every teaching of Jesus that you know, begin obedience. And think about it. If you're holding back in some area of your life, you're not going to experience the intimacy of Christ in in its fullness. If you've got a little secret sin that you're harboring, and you know you're not supposed to, I'm just going to keep this. Your intimacy with Christ is going to be limited. Your fullness of joy will not be maximized. When, when you begin to obey in what you know the Lord wants you to do, you will begin to see unfolding progressive blessing in your life. That, that is the way that Jesus is speaking here. And so doing his words leads to knowing him better, leads to knowing him more deeply. So let me just wrap this up. What, what does it mean to build your life upon the rock? It, it means at least three things. It means at least that you are convinced that doing good works will never get you into heaven, will never get you into a relationship with Christ. You cannot count on good works. Secondly, it means that you believe that Jesus is the only one who is righteous and he is the only one who gives righteousness. You go to him for complete righteousness and acceptance. You trust in him completely and him alone. And third, building your life upon the rock means actually obeying the teachings of Jesus. And and the last point I want you to think about is, he said that the foolish person who, who builds on the sand, when the storms come, the house collapses. It's the storms of life that will reveal where your faith truly is. The storms will expose what you're founded on. And I first learned this when my parents divorced. I was in college, about 21 years old, when my parents divorced. And that was, the, that was the storm of my life. Probably the most significant storm I've ever gone through my entire life. And when they divorced, what I realized was my faith was not completely in Christ. Part of it was in the stability of my family. In the, in the foundation of my family, I thought the Cravens are rocks. We're... we're That's the way I felt. I felt secure in my family. But when that was split apart, then I realized, okay, am am I completely confident in Jesus? Am I completely grounded in Christ? And I wasn't. So when the storms come, the question is, you need to shift, right? When when cracks in your foundation of your life are revealed, and, and they will be, The storms will come. They come to both of these builders here. Well, where is the source of groundedness in your life? What is the foundation you're on? If if it's your job, what happens when the job is gone? Are you still okay with Jesus? Or if it's it's a relationship, what happens when the relationship is gone? Are Are you still okay, you and Jesus? Right, the storms, and God is sovereign over every storm in your life. He is, he is doing his good through the storms. But the storms help expose where the foundation is shaky. And that's why I prayed at the beginning, 
if your life is not built on Christ and Christ alone, you're going to, you're, there's going to be a shakiness in your life. It will be exposed. The Lord will do it. The storm will come. This passage is intended to help you prepare for that before it comes so that you are ready for it. And when you're ready, you will more faithfully endure. If you're expecting the storm, you can prepare for it and you'll endure it much better. Yesterday, I went for a run and it was pouring down rain, which my wife said was very unwise, but yet I, I, had just, I felt like I had to. And I was going around the corner of Horn Pond and I saw this massive, I don't know, 25-yard puddle right along the edge of the sidewalk that butted up against a, a bunch of uh, bushes. So there's no place to go except on the sidewalk. Okay, so on one side is a massive water puddle, and most of the cars are going around this huge puddle. And I remembered some uh, weaker days of my life when if I were driving and I saw a person walking on a sidewalk and there's a giant puddle there, there would have been a strong temptation to aim for the puddle. And as I saw it, I thought, okay, somebody like me a long time ago is going to drive by. Most of the cars were going around, so I put my hood on. I got to prepare it just in case uh, somebody like me comes by. So I get halfway in the puddle, and guess who drove by? A wall of water showered me, and I know it was intentional because the guy was like six inches from the sidewalk. <laughs> I, it didn't matter. I was already drenched to the bone, but I didn't flinch. I just kept running. I didn't shout and scream and yell and, you know, anything like that. I knew it was, I sort of knew it was coming. When you know the storm is coming, you'll be okay. When your life is founded in Christ, you will make it through the storm. If, if your life is not on Christ, your knees will weak and you'll feel like your life is about to buckle and you'll run and hide and you'll, you'll get away from God's people. You won't want to come near but don't do that. Don't let the storms of life separate you from, from God's people and from Him. Let the roots of your life go down deep into Christ. Let the foundation of your soul be in Christ and Christ alone. Because only if you build your life on Him will you survive the storms. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I ask you again, expose the cracks in our lives. Where we are weak, let us be aware of it so that we can confess the hidden sins, so that we can confess anything that needs to be repented of. And God, I pray you let us see Jesus as the treasure, the, the shelter of our lives, the rock to whom we flee in the seasons of storms. And Lord, I pray that everybody listening to my voice would, would run to you, Lord Jesus, and you alone. For it is the will of the Father that we look to you and you alone for salvation and for forgiveness of sins and for cleansing of sins and for renewal of our souls. And Lord, I ask, do that. Do that in our lives, even this morning. So reveal to us where things are off. Give us hearts to confess it and give us the faith to flee to you, Lord Jesus, so that we can stand next to you and with you and be filled with your spirit. I pray all of this in your powerful name. Amen.